0: with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: It's the Thursday edition, and coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll be taking a look at the potential uh, reduction of products making it to the north due to the road conditions, etc., and mud mudslides going on in the southern part of B.C. Uh, Trudy Clausen will be talking to people within the trucking industry about that. But to start today's program... This is Monday morning's front burner from CBC News.
2: Hi, I'm Angela Starrett.
3: May
4: I just say to all uh, delegates, um, I apologize for the way this process has unfolded. And-
2: As COP26, the UN's annual climate summit, finally closed in Glasgow on Saturday. Caught, president, Alec Sharma, told delegates he was sorry for how things ended up. And then, as he continued, he had to fight back tears.
4: But I think, as you have noted, it's also vital that we um, protect this package.
2: Obviously, the president of the world's most important climate conference, trying not to cry... Is not an encouraging sign. Today I'm speaking with Justin Warland, a senior correspondent at Time Magazine covering climate change and policy about what happened and what didn't at COP26. Hi, Justin.
4: Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on.
2: Thank you so much for, for being here. And I, I want to get into, you know, what was in the final Glasgow Climate Pact in a bit. But first, I, I want to briefly ad- address what we heard in the intro. I, I mean, why was COP President Alec Sharma fighting back tears?
4: Yeah, it was a really, uh, really interesting moment in um, and, and the very last seconds of uh, or last minutes of discussion around the decision text uh you know glasgow glasgow climate pact uh india requested from the floor to amend the language regarding coal and so instead of saying uh you know that they agreed to phase uh, phase out fossil excuse me coal uh they requested that it would say that they phase down coal
2: glasgow india pushed for the continued use of a fossil fuel
5: that makes climates change Campaigner Vishwajit was at COP26 and arrived home this morning.
3: So immediately after landing, when I got to see about uh, the term change from phase out to phase down, it was a total disappointment. It seems like for world leaders, any world leaders, people or humanity or uh, other life forms, nothing matters for them. It's corporates, it's business, it's money.
4: And it includes India also. And that uh, ultimately, the COP president allowed that to happen. uh, And, you know, the rest of the parties uh, were were pretty upset that he had allowed that to happen. They called the process untransparent. Uh, They uh, sort of vocally uh, decried uh, his leadership on that front. And, you know, for somebody who had spent the year uh, focused on ending coal, uh, Clearly, this isn't something he wanted to do. And I think he in that moment felt uh, really uh, hit by the weight of it all.
2: Right. And, and I mean, why would I mean, it seems obvious, but but just tell me, why, why would that language change from going phase out to phase down be such a big deal?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you are a small island developing country, um, you know, the, the difference between quickly phasing out and, and phasing damble is the difference between, you know, survival. Uh, because coal is such a contributor, such a large contributor to, uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Really, coal needs to disappear, <laughs> you know, effectively, uh, you know, as soon as possible. And so just sort of trickling down with a sort of winding down phase out is, uh, excuse me, a phase down is not as strong as a, as a phase out. Out. and the other thing i think is just noting the process right so a lot of countries had lots of issues with this and they were upset that the cop president allowed uh this one change to happen at the very end and didn't allow any of the other changes that countries wanted uh to be considered
2: Okay, so before we, I guess, dive into the to the fine details of what happened at COP26, I want to just cover a couple basics. So everyone's on the same page. I mean, firstly, the UN holds a, a COP summit basically every year, but they're not all as important as COP26. Why was this one seen as particularly important?
4: Yeah, so COP, basically every five years you get sort of a big momentous COP where, you know, something is supposed to happen. So you think of like Copenhagen, Paris, uh, and now Glasgow. Uh, and at this COP, uh countries were meant to bring new commitments to reduce emissions, uh, to say, you know, they committed to something in Paris and, and then to say they're going to ratchet up this year. And the hope was that those commitments collectively would put the world on a pathway to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is this marker that scientists use as a shorthand for saying, like, the, the top limit of how much warming we can take before things get really out of control. And so this would meant to be the time when countries brought those commitments that would keep that warming in check.
2: Mm. And it sounds like the mood during the first week of, of COP26 was was fairly optimistic.
4: We must work
0: together to ensure it is no longer free to pollute anywhere in the world. That means establishing a shared minimum standard for pricing pollution. We can keep the goal of limiting global warming to just 1.5 degrees Celsius within our reach if we come together. we We can get real on coal, cars,
6: cash, and trees.
2: We have the technology. And to... at the summit, a bunch of countries agreed to end deforestation by 2030. Many also agreed to make big cuts in methane emissions. Several countries also promised to phase out coal fired power. So it seems like a lot of leaders were probably, you know, high fiving and patting themselves on the back in that first week. But then on Tuesday of week two, there was some pretty bad news in the form of two reports. What did those reports say?
4: Yeah. So these two reports basically did a stock take of all of the commitments that had come, you know, pre-COP, during COP, and said, look, this is this is where we are. And the numbers were uh, alarming, right? So basically, if if, if countries c- continue to implement current policies, right, so things that they've committed to, but also really laid out in policy, uh, the world would, would, would warm about 2.7 degrees, right? So this is nearly double that 1.5 marker we were talking about earlier if they if they did what they committed to with their 2030 targets which are like basically the more credible targets because 2030 is so close if countries did what they committed to do by 2030 we'd be on track for about 2.4 degrees of warming still way ahead of that 1.5 mark um And so this was a this was a a wake up call, I think, for the negotiators who came in with a lot of, as you said, a lot of energy around the sort of announcements that had come in the first few days of COP and the the presence of the world leaders who were saying the right things. And then this 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 wake up call said, you know, we're really not on track.
2: Mm. And I know that the group behind one of those reports, Climate Action Tracker, said that, quote, Glasgow has a massive credibility action and commitment gap. What did they mean by that?
4: Yeah. So what the climate action report uh, points out is there is a big difference between saying that, you know, uh, a country, say, like Saudi Arabia is going to have a uh, eliminate its carbon footprint by 2060 and actually doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. So the credibility gap is the gap between the sort of bold declarations that don't have any sort of substance underpinning it.
2: Okay, so all of that obviously sounds pretty concerning. So so let's talk about what these COP delegates did about it. COP26 was supposed to wrap on Friday, but it ended up dragging on until late on Saturday. And obviously, lots of big compromises were made. But for starters, what was accomplished or agreed to in the Glasgow Climate Pact?
4: yeah so some really remarkable things i mean it's it 's kind of crazy to say this, but you know the, the the cop text languages that have come out in the past have never explicitly mentioned fossil fuels and so uh, at, at this cop they agreed to as we were talking about earlier, to phase down coal you know explicitly referencing and naming coal as the problem uh, as well as phasing out uh, quote inefficient fossil fuel subsidies again, naming and calling out uh the problem so that was a big accomplishment there uh is a commitment around uh, spending more on adaptation so countries in the developed world helping their developing counterparts with spending more money on things that help them adapt to climate change that that was a big accomplishment and then there's this 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 thing called the rule book which is this Uh, setting up rules of the road for a lot of different elements of actually implementing the Paris Agreement, which really had dragged on for years and years of discussion. Uh, And that was finally agreed to, which, you know, uh, will help create a framework which allows for a lot of these sort of really nitty-gritty things to actually happen in the real world and not just be sort of abstract.
2: Okay. And... I know that, that China, the U.S. and India, you know, accounting for nearly half of global emissions are now aiming to stop contributing to, to climate change completely in the coming decades. Can you touch on that a bit?
4: Yeah. So I, I, one big thing, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is this this commitment to come back next year. Right. So uh, basically looking at the commitments as they are uh, and what they had, at the beginning of COP and into COP and seeing that they don't add up to one point five. Uh, all, all countries have committed to come back next year with something more significant and including, you know, China and India uh, and as well as, you know, the U.S. and, and you know, all the parties, uh, And which is which is really, you know, the idea is that they're going to come back with something, a 2030 commitment that will keep the world on track to 1.5 degrees. And so it's a big ask, but, um, you know, it would be pretty, pretty significant if they follow through.
1: On 93.1 CFIS FM, that's part one of Monday Morning's Front Burner from CBC News. We'll have the second half in a moment here on After 9. We were four guys that uh, I met Paul and said, do you want to join the band? And then George joined. And then Ringo joined. We were just a band who made it very, very big, that's all.
7: Join me Thursdays at 9 o'clock for Everything Beatles here on Apple Scrofts.
0: Apple's girl,
1: Apple's girl. Thursday nights at 9 here on 93.1 CFIS FM. Cognitive Care Kits are available at the Prince George Public Library. Receive information and tips to help stimulate brain activity in people experiencing cognitive decline, such as memory loss and Alzheimer's disease. There are nine kits in total, each unique and tailored to help people with different levels of cognitive decline. Training videos on the use of the kits are available through the library's YouTube channel. Library patrons can borrow Cognitive Care Kits for up to three weeks at a time through your Prince George Public Library.
5: (laughs) Standing up against racism is an ongoing battle. How will you help? Everyone should be treated equally and the legal system should work for the people, not against them. Every day, our network of supporters, lawyers, and educators from across the country continue to fight against injustice and oppression, both in and outside of the courtroom, and at all levels of government. This message is brought to you by the Canadian Anti-Racism Youth Coalition. Visit caryc.ca for more information about how you can stand up and speak out.
1: Forecast from Environment Canada for today. Cloudy of the 30% chance of flurries becoming partly cloudy this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20 k gusting to 40 a high of zero with a wind chill this morning to minus nine tonight a few clouds gusting south winds are becoming light late this evening a low of minus four with a wind chill to minus eight on friday a mix of sun and cloud wind up to 15 with a high again of zero
0: featuring the people who make things happen in prince george you're listening to after nine on 93.1 cfis fn
1: And now part two of Monday Morning's Front Burner from CBC News.
2: Obviously, there's been lots of criticism online uh, about things that were not settled in this agreement. What are some of the major things that were not settled in the agreement?
4: Yeah, so the big thing, you know, I mentioned adaptation finance earlier. Uh, But there was a big call, A, for for more adaptation finance and to really name a number, which, you know, for a lot of developing countries, the number would be in the trillions of dollars. The deal brought yet more disappointment
3: for vulnerable nations as rich countries, including the EU and the U.S., blocked concrete action on compensating them for climate-related loss and damages. Greenpeace called the COP26's agreement meek and weak.
2: The funding mechanism is weak. The support for adaptation is weak. There's no funding numbers on the table, so I think it will be
4: hard. There's also, uh, no agreement on loss and damage. And, and loss and damage is this, uh, concept which acknowledges that historic emitters, uh, developed countries have caused, uh, damage, uh, loss and damage to the sort of developing vulnerable counterparts. And so those countries, those vulnerable countries, wanted a mechanism that would allow them to receive uh, funding uh, as a result of the losses that they're experiencing now that are going to balloon and scale in the coming years and decades. And that there was a mention in the text of so sort of setting up a dialogue that will think about the ways in which they can work on loss and damage, which, you know, is, 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 is Uh, in some ways a step forward, but it's certainly not anywhere near uh, what these vulnerable countries wanted. And I think, you know, I think even many developed country counterparts would say like what they deserved. Mm. Uh, So it, it was, I think, a disappointment for a lot of people.
2: know a part of a statement from Ariel Duranger. She's a Dene activist from Northern Alberta, uh, the executive director of Indigenous Climate Action. And she's been in Glasgow during COP26. She said, quote, the final text left me sad, angry, empowered, and scared. While we've succeeded in getting references to human rights and rights of Indigenous people, it has fallen flat. These references mean little if they're also creating loopholes for dirty corporations and high polluting nations to offset their emissions by buying and trading the air and our lands and territories without our consent or participation. I mean, you touched on this a bit already, but I'm wondering if you can speak to what she's saying there about polluters being given loopholes in this agreement. What's the criticism there?
4: Yeah. So this is part of the rule book. It's, it's called Article six. Uh, and it's this, it's basically a, a, framework for, uh, carbon offsetting, uh, you know, for a country say that, that is having trouble, uh, reducing its emissions can, can go to another country and, 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 you know, purchase credits, uh, for preserving the forest or something like that. And, uh, they finally reached an agreement about the rules of the road for that, uh, you know, in a sort of very obvious way, there, there's so, so many things that you can think of that might be wrong with that, right? How do you monitor and verify that? You know, is, telling, is paying somebody not to destroy something – really uh, an effective way of of saying that you've reduced your emissions. And then there are, you know, of course is is sort of a bigger meta criticism about these offsets to begin with, which come from a lot of different, you know, indigenous uh communities and and some environmentalists as well who say, you know, we shouldn't be commodifying uh forests, we shouldn't be commodifying uh, you know, natural land to begin with, uh, and that this isn't really an effective way of combating climate change. And so it's a totally complicated game. And this Article Six agreement tries to set up some rules for that game. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of environmental activists would say this is better than than nothing, because right now, you know, pre-this agreement, we were sort of operating in this wild, wild west where, you know, a, a country would would go and buy those same offsets and then a company would go and buy the same ones and and they would get double counted and it would be a whole mess. But that criticism that this is really not the right way to go about things is still very strong. And I think that's what you're hearing from uh, a lot of environmental and indigenous activists.
3: Once again, we are faced with another COP event. How many more of these should they hold until they realize that their inactions are destroying the planet. We are here today because we know that COP26 won't do anything. They want to continue the massacre that they have been responsible for for hundreds of years already. Your word is built on the blood of our people.
4: And
2: we want change. We will not give up- I'm wondering what kinds of other criticisms are we seeing of this final agreement?
4: Well, I, I think you know there's a there's 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 many right. So uh, I think the big thing is the vulnerable countries that did not get what they wanted regarding loss and damage and regarding adaptation finance. I mean that there is a argument that this agreement is actually really strong on keeping a pathway to 1.5 alive, or at least as strong as it could be given all the circumstances, uh, but that. A whole bunch of countries are really just being left behind uh, and that they, you know, while we might be able to spare – you know, some of the developed countries, some of the worst effects of climate change, that there's no sparing developing countries right now, and they're not being offered support.
0: Failure to provide the critical finance and that of loss and damage is measured, my friends, in lives and livelihoods in our communities. This is immoral, and it is unjust. So I ask to you, what must we say to our people living on the front line in the Caribbean, in Africa, in Latin America, in the Pacific, when both ambition and regrettably some of the needed faces at Glasgow are not present? What excuse should we give for the failure?
4: So I think that's probably the biggest criticism. And then, you know, there are other points around the way in which... You know, the language around coal went from phase out to phase down. There's there's criticisms about, uh, you know, particular elements of of Article six, as we touched on. There's there's many, many criticisms. But I think the vulnerable country criticism is the thing that uh, is sticking for most people.
2: Right. And so, I mean, Justin, from from what experts are saying, is this idea of keeping warming to one point five degrees Celsius even possible at this point?
4: Yeah, I, I, I mean, to, to quote the UN Secretary General, you know, one 1.5 way, degrees is still on reach, but in life support. And I think that's that's really the right way to put it. It's, you know, is it technically possible? Yes. Uh, is it politically feasible? Given everything we've seen in the last year and given the commitments that countries came to COP with, it doesn't really seem like it. And so, You know, I think the attitude of a lot of people in the climate space is very understandably that we need to be optimistic and we need to say, yes, it's technically feasible and we need to make it politically feasible. I guess I would just say I look at the the numbers and I'm skeptical, but I will watch and see if there is a political path that opens.
2: Mm. And, and we know that throughout this conference, tens of thousands of activists, maybe up to a hundred thousand have also been demonstrating outside the conference. And we've heard many of them say COP26 is just, you know, a big PR exercise in the first place, that it's just a lot of empty promises with no actual action plan.
6: Build back better, blah, blah, blah. Green economy, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah.
2: And I'm wondering, you know, especially as a climate reporter who's already covered a few COPs before, whether you're walking away feeling like there was any actual concrete progress here.
4: Yeah, I think I think that there absolutely was progress, uh, and I think any real sort of analysis would say getting nearly 200 countries to say we need to phase out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies, saying that we need to phase down coal, is a pretty remarkable accomplishment given where things are and where things happen. Um, the problem, of course, is that it's incremental uh, to to get to 1.5 to stave off the worst. Effects of warming, we need really, really dramatic action, and so incremental progress here and there just isn't going to cut it. Um, But you know, it would be wrong to say it's it's nothing. Uh, And and then the one other thing I would just say on that too is sometimes it's it's hard to see how things will trickle down. Uh, And so you look at Paris, and you look at one point five. Going into Paris, you know, I was reporting on climate. Two degrees was the number everyone talked about. People said we need to hold the warming to two degrees. And then there was this move from uh, a lot of vulnerable countries to say, actually, it's really 1.5. We're being hit right now. And the Paris Agreement included this reference to 1.5 that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And that changed the direction of conversation. It changed the way in which we thought about what's ambitious around climate policy. And so it might be hard to see now, but I... I think the signals coming out around coal, around fossil fuel subsidies, are things that might have trickle effects for years to come that might actually be more game-changing than we think.
2: Justin, thank you so much for your time today.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's good to discuss.
2: And that's all for today. I'm Angela Starrett, in for Jamie Boisson. Thanks so much for listening to Frontburner.
1: CFIS FM, that is Monday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. Be sure to tune in for Front Burner tonight at 11 as they'll be taking a look at the flooding across the southern part of this province and how that came to be and the reactions and perhaps delayed reactions from the province. On that Front Burner can also be caught on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stick around and when we return here on After 9, Trudy Clausen will be in to talk a little bit about how the flooding and closed roads are affecting northern British Columbia as far as getting products to the area.
3: The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is in need of a sport and physical activity coordinator for the northeast region. The primary role of a regional coordinator is to engage communities, partners, and groups in the development of community-based programs for Indigenous people throughout the region. Application information and full details are available at ispark.ca. That's iSpark in need of a sport and physical activity coordinator for the Northeast region. Application deadline is December 1st.
7: Studio 2880 is once again offering youth day camps on non instructional days off from school. Sign up for your child to get creative and learn how to make incredible art. The next camp is Friday, November 26th from 9 to noon featuring weaving wall art. Use paper, fabric, and ink to create design and textures in a few fun projects and learn basic knots and weaving technique. That's the next Youth Day Camp, Friday, November 26th. Registration is available through Studio 2880.
3: The Alzheimer's Society of BC has a brand new online dementia education series. This online education offers small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussions. Take in the workshop for family caregivers the next four Thursdays from 2 to 3.30. Registration and full details for these free sessions are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at one 800 933
7: with winter quickly approaching, it's time to check out your furnace to make sure it's ready for the season. Enercare has created a guide to help you understand your furnace and common problems you may encounter doing an inspection. Prepare and resolve any issues well before the cold weather arrives. Check out furnace basics, furnace maintenance, repair tips and more with the 2021 Furnace Buyer's Guide for Homeowners. under Heating at Entercare.ca.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, good
5: morning. So my name is Trudy Claussen, and I'm hosting After 9. Today we're interviewing Jim Young, Operations Manager of Papasan, local trucking company. Uh, Good morning, Jim.
8: Good morning, Trudy. How are you today?
5: I am well. I'm probably not as busy as you are. (laughs) <laughs> I stopped by your office this morning, uh, but uh, you were obviously away and uh, they said O'Hare straight back. So uh, how are you doing?
8: I'm actually doing good. You know, uh, we've got an incredible team here at Papa Sun and everybody's pulling together to get the uh, grocery uh, shelves stocked up here for everybody.
5: Wow. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's start. If, I mean, we have a half an hour, so we can talk about a few things. But uh, first off, how do we pronounce your business name?
8: It's Papason, P-A-P-A-S-O-N. Papason.
5: All right. And what's the origin of the name?
8: Uh, Actually, it's a a father and a son that started this company, Howard Arp and Bill Arp, and uh, they are the... Owners of the company, Uh, Bill has passed on, but Howard is uh, still operating the company here.
5: Okay, well, that's very interesting. All right. So uh, where does uh, Papasan normally, what's your scope of operations and where do you uh, usually have trucks?
8: We actually deliver uh, through Alberta and we deliver uh, all over British Columbia uh, down to all the lower mainland locations uh, as far as west uh, to Prince Rupert and the Queen Charlotte Islands. Uh, north all the way to Fort Nelson, British Columbia, and we head uh, east uh, into Edmonton uh, quite frequently as well.
5: Okay, so how much? Um, so do you do you deliver stuff to Prince George and from Prince George as well? Or
8: yes, we do. We we actually uh, the the scope of our business actually we we do a lot of picking up out of the Lower Mainland for full load capacity. We work for companies like Sobey's, Tim Hortons, uh, Cisco Food Services and many other companies down in the Lower Mainland.
5: Oh dear. Are we threatened with coffee shortages?
8: No, actually, you know what? We aren't. Uh, These these are massive companies that have uh, distribution chains all throughout the country. Oh. So uh, that's one thing that people don't have to worry about. We'll make sure that you guys get your coffee.
5: <laughs> All right, <laughs> panic buying at Tim Hortons. <laughs> 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 okay, um, so uh, have you got have you got trucks that are stuck?
8: Yes, we do. Actually, uh, we have uh, some of our team members that are currently stuck uh, down in the Lower Mainland. They've been down there for. A few days now and, uh, yeah, it's, it's very concerning, you know, um, these guys work very hard, uh, Trudy and, uh, they, you know, they're away from their families quite a bit and, uh, this has been very hard on a, on a couple of our drivers. I, I
5: would believe you. Um, I mean, how are you operate, like, how are they managing? Are they managing to get food? I mean, one problem with, with, uh, driving a truck is that amazing length that, you know, you can't just <laughs> pull to the side of the uh, road or into a, into a uh, Boston pizza anywhere, right?
8: That's right. You know, I'm going to tell you an incredible story, actually, and I'm glad you kind of led in with, with that. Um, we had a couple of our drivers uh, stranded on Highway 7 and a small Aboriginal community, and I'm, I'm not sure of the name of it. I am definitely going to find out because our company is going to give them a donation actually started preparing food for everybody. We're talking like 400 people stranded on that highway. Do you mean
5: in that spot in Highway 7 that was between the two landslides?
8: That's correct. Landslides? Okay. And uh, this small Aboriginal community actually went out in their personal vehicles, grabbed individuals, groups at a time, and basically brought them in and fed them. It it was absolutely incredible because we had no way to get uh, our drivers any sort of food or water or, or anything. And it's incredible to see how people pull together in times like this.
5: Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. And so are they still stuck there?
8: Actually, they have been reverted back to Hope now so we can get them food and we can transfer money to them and, and make sure that they're completely looked after. Uh, we have other drivers that are stranded on uh, Highway 99. Uh, everybody was trying to take detours at that time to try and get the products up the highway. Right, and so, Highway
5: 99, that's the one just south of Highway 1, right?
8: That's correct. There actually was a fatality, uh, um, I believe, on that highway from one of the slides there.
5: Oh, my goodness.
8: Yeah, so our drivers are kind of uh, stuck behind that right now. But um, the Ministry of, of Highways is doing such a phenomenal job. Uh, the reaction time, they're, they're, these things take a lot of time. Like when you look at the significant damage, uh, treaty that's been done to the highways, but these guys are incredibly smart. Um, they're they're making plans to get a temporary road uh, structure built in, and um, you know this is why it it happens so quickly is how, how fast they react. So we're wow. pretty uh, pretty thankful for those guys as well.
5: So what kind of work are they doing there to get that highway back
8: up and running? Uh, what they do is they open up temporary access so that they can get move equipment in and start to build temporary roadways. Uh, to even open up single lane will will help uh, start things moving throughout British Columbia again. So um, basically, they move that equipment in and, and start to build temporary structure so that they can move traffic through.
5: Wow. So how are those guys getting food and water and everything?
8: You know what? I think that uh, a lot of this stuff comes from, as you guys probably have seen, you know, the, there's uh, helicopters flying in, there's, there's there's all kinds of different things uh, happening right now, uh, wow. the military, all different different people jump into action here to make sure that uh, people are safe.
5: Wow. Well, that is just amazing
8: it is it actually is amazing, and I'm very proud of of all the people that are working um you know uh, tirelessly <laughs> you know to get to get people moving, make sure people are safe uh, there's so many things that are happening behind the scenes Trudy
5: <laughs> well, this is something that we all like no but we all take this for granted, right like like when things are going normally, we just go to the grocery store pick up our stuff and we don't even think about it and and um uh i mean you guys are working year round uh we don't notice and then something like this happens and we go oh my word uh what are the um uh, what is the background work that that you have to do at this point like are you rerouting some trucks through the us
8: uh what happens now for us trudy uh we try to reconnect the northern supply chain through alberta yeah So what happens is everybody will switch over. So all trucking companies located in our areas, including Kamloops and Kelowna, uh, they'll start to run, like Kelowna, the Okanagan will start to run through to Calgary, which is a major distribution point for the, like, uh, products come up from the U.S. into these points, and then they're moved over to the west or east. So what happens is, you know, I, I hope that people are listening understand that there is no need to panic buy. Because basically, what will happen is the supply chain will shift to Alberta, and BC will be will be looked after from the Alberta side. Um, Vancouver will be looked after strictly from the U.S.
5: Okay, okay. So our grocery stores will be refilled.
8: That's correct. And you know what? I believe you know people like Sobeys. Like I I work with a company like uh, Sobeys that I discussed in the beginning of this interview and uh, we're currently shipping nine loads of groceries right now to move to prince rupert terrace uh all through the stores up in that area as well uh smithers or sorry smithers 100 mile Quinnell and williams lake we look after Mm -hmm. and then those guys will ship from calgary into the okanagan so stores will be replenished very quickly um the problem is is when people panic by trudy um it just creates a, a, a real mess for the logistics because basically now you're going to be committing tons of equipment and we can only do so much, right? So um, people just need to understand, buy your regular groceries. And the next day, the next two days, product will start hitting the shelves again. So okay. there's no need to panic buy at this point.
5: All right. Well, we'll be back. Uh, we have, we, need, to t- we need, need to take a two-minute break, I think. And we'll be back talking to Jim Young of Papasan Local uh, Trucking Company.
6: Join Two Rivers Gallery the second Sunday of each month for an in-depth tour. Led by staff and knowledgeable learning and engagement volunteers, the exhibit tour is a great way to discover the gallery while getting a better perspective and understanding of the current exhibits. That's guided tours the second Sunday of each month from 1 to 2 at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Check them out online as well at tworiversgallery.ca.
2: The Alzheimer's Society of BC has a new online dementia education series. The online education offers small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Take in the workshop, Activities to Do at Home, Thursday, November 30th from 10 to 11.30. Registration and full details on these free sessions are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the first link, Dementia Helpline, at one 800 977 if you attended a federal Indian day school, now is your time to make your claim. If you experience
5: harm at your school, you may be eligible to receive a check for compensation. Remember, you need to make your claim before July 13, 2022. See if your school is on the list and get free legal help. Start at IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-844-539-3815. Claim what's yours.
1: Forecast from Environment Canada for today. Cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries becoming partly cloudy this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20K gusting to 40. A high of zero with a wind chill this morning to minus 9. Tonight a few clouds. Gusting south winds becoming light late this evening. A low of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 8. On Friday a mix of sun and cloud. Wind up to 15 with a high again of zero.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 fm Welcome back, uh,
5: Trudy Claussen, your hosts, talking to Jim Young, operations manager of Papasan, uh, local logistics company, uh, hauling all around the province through Alberta, from Alberta. Uh, Jim, uh, thank you again, uh, for coming back (laughs) during this very difficult time for, uh, in the trucking industry and just, uh, so are you, um, one question that I had, uh, was, like you said that uh, you wouldn't necessarily be driving through the U.S. to get to do to reroute, correct?
8: That's correct.
5: Okay, uh, because I had I was wondering for those companies that there are some companies that will will need to do that though, right?
8: Hundred percent. When you when you think of Vancouver and Vancouver Island, um, if you look at your products when you're at the grocery store, you see products from the U.S.A. and you see products from Venezuela and all different different areas of the world. Um. Basically, that area gets all of their supply from the U.S. So, places like Vancouver, Trudy, yep. they're going to receive all of their produce, all of their goods from that marketplace uh, anyhow, even if the roads are, f- are functioning. Okay. Right? So, a lot of your produce and all of those goods do come from the U.S. Yeah. So, um, all those fresh items will be circulated into the Vancouver area, so that population will be looked after. Okay. And as I said before, it's no different than uh, the, the the product from the states will cycle through to Calgary, which is a major uh, distribution point, and then mm-hmm. that product will be kicked over to British Columbia and the North and further points from there.
5: So do you have any any concerns going forward like the province has now declared a state of emergency? Are there some things that uh, are good for uh, for trucking um, for getting goods across about that, or are there some uh, potential dangers that could come?
8: Well, the best part is that that, like I'm like I'm talking about about the U.S. That distribution chain's not broken. Yep. Uh, the places that are going to be affected are places like Abbotsford that are completely being evacuated right now, potentially to Chilliwack, I believe. Yes. But then we can get we can airlift groceries. There, there's all different kinds of things. So um, those things are definitely going to happen until they get that water out of that area. So um, as far as the north. People do not need to be uh, worried in the north uh, because all roads are open. Um, there's there's all types of routes to get that product here to uh, Prince George. Prince George is actually a fairly big hub for distribution for places like up to Prince Rupert and places up to the north as far as Fort Nelson.
5: So of all, of all different areas, you would consider Prince George is probably one of the best situated?
8: 100%. Yep. Uh, it's going to be a point where all of the groceries are going to cycle through and then move on further points.
5: Okay, well, that is very good news for. Um, I know that there was a lot of uh, uh, panic buying happening here in town, and 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 I was very glad to see, uh, you know, public officials like the mayor and and several Facebook group leaders were saying, "Hey, guys, you know, you don't need to uh, panic buy." And I know at my local Save On, I asked the staff there, and they said, "No, no, it's not going to be a problem. It it'll be it'll be fine." So that's the word out to everybody. We will have food.
8: <laughs> that's right, and and you know what? I'm thankful for the strong leadership. I'm very proud of our, our mayor and uh, city council uh, for a quick reaction to kind of settle people down because uh, that's necessary. And, and listen, Trudy, at the end of the day, this is very scary stuff that that is happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we need to make sure, and, I, and I'm very proud of you too, Trudy, to get the information out to people. It's important because uh, people are scared. Yes, you know, the, the first instinct is to protect your family. Yep, and uh, I don't blame people for being worried. Um, one thing that I do want people to understand, though, is that uh, please be cautious of taking all those goods off the shelf because they're senior citizens that have uh, pay, you know, that comes in certain days, and if they can't get what they need, that concerns me. Uh, mm-hmm. People with disabilities as well. Yep. Um, please be kind and, and share during this time, is, all right. is my words, because uh, people are going to need that help.
5: Okay. All right. So that you heard it from the man. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, one uh, other question. I just heard that uh, Prince uh, Prince Rupert was saying that hey, we can take some of the overload. I don't know how much. Do you know about the port situation and and uh, Prince George offering or Prince Rupert offering to take some of the load from Vancouver.
8: You know what? I work with a a huge company, Sobeys, uh, and and basically they will be using the Port of Prince Rupert to ship meat from Alberta down actually to Vancouver. Oh, my. Um, These companies are very strategic and and are very smart with uh, the the distribution chain. And, yes, Prince Rupert will probably get uh, inundated with some business that they didn't have before. And um, this is what I'm saying about, um, you know, these big players and how they... They work every aspect of logistics to get the product, uh, whatever they need to service their communities. So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely Prince Rupert will definitely see some, some uh, different uh, distribution uh, up in that area.
5: Okay. All right. When, so that makes me think uh, we're going to see an awful lot more trucks on the road.
8: Oh, 100%. You're going to see people from Alberta coming in consistently. Everybody had to make a very quick change in our business and uh, use Alberta as that distribution point. So all equipment now will be either A, starting out of uh, Edmonton coming to BC, uh, coming out of Calgary, coming out of all points in Alberta, plus further. So um, any, any of those items will definitely cycle through uh, the country get to british columbia at this point so
5: okay well i will uh, then i'm going to ask you the question uh, uh or ask you to speak to an issue that i have a family with a lot of truck drivers uh and so there's always the talk about you know the people in the little cars <laughs> and you know not respecting the massiveness of of a truck and, and and its abilities and uh and non-abilities on the highways what kind of uh just gentle reminder would you have for people when they're on the roads
8: uh, I think that people need to uh, drive with very a lot of patience, Trudy. Um, these trucks cannot stop on a dime. You have to think of a truck cruising down the highway uh, at 100 and uh, with a load of groceries that's uh, 50,000, 60,000 pounds behind them. Um, so when people are trying to make aggressive moves and, uh, you know, they, they, they start to say, you know, profanity to drivers and all of these things. Um, I think they just need to understand these trucks can't react like a car. Mm-hmm. Um, they're carrying a ton of payload uh, in the back. And uh, if you drive in front of a truck and hammer your brakes on, uh, there's a good chance that, that, that an accident could happen because they don't have the reaction time that a vehicle has. Mm. Yep. So people just be patient, and, and there are going to be a lot of trucks on the road just prepare for extra time uh, when you're traveling, and and uh, just drive with with care.
5: And don't stop suddenly in front of a truck. Don't do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> when you're coming up to a red light, please don't pull in front of the truck. <laughs>
8: That's a hundred percent. Like it's uh, like I said, you know, these drivers are are uh, um, you know traveling all different times of the day. Uh, you know, sometimes they're they're getting tired, and and you know um, just just. Just uh, practice with courtesy when you're on the road.
5: Yes, and they've and like you said, like right now especially, a lot of them are running, re- driving really long, long routes uh, that they hadn't expected, and and the exhaustion, you know, sleeping in their trucks, they're they're not going to be at their very best.
8: That's right, you know, and, and I gotta, I want, I want to thank the public because you know a lot of the times here uh, we've seen so many generous acts of you know kindness right now to our drivers. Uh, people coming up with hot chocolate and food and um, all, all different kinds of things. So I want to thank uh, everybody, um, you know, for all the kind acts that they're doing. These guys, like, they don't get any credit. And, and you know, I, I have a lot of drivers. Uh, we have over 65 drivers in, in our system. And uh, these guys are, are absolutely putting their family life behind them. They understand the severity of the issue that we're facing and they're putting the time in to make sure that everybody's got what they need on the on the dinner table. So,
5: All right. Uh, okay, absolutely. So we've got another break here, and we'll be back. We'll finish up, and we'll talk a little bit maybe about uh, other issues, supply chain stuff, Christmas presents, that kind of thing. And so we'll be back. Thank you.
1: BKT Tires and OK Tire are now the title sponsors of the World Women's Curling Championship. The 2022 BKT Tires and OK Tire World Women's Championship presented by Nature's Bounty is scheduled for March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Tickets are available online at curling.ca slash 2022 World Women slash tickets at the CN Center box office or by calling 1 888-293-6613. The 2022 BKT Tires and OK Tires World Women's Curling Championship March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Does your not-for-profit organization foster an atmosphere
6: for healthy and productive conflict? Conflict can bring forward new ideas and perspectives to strengthen an organization when it's approached with care. On December 7th, Vantage Point's Conflict and Challenging Conversations covers how to embrace productive conflict and develop key skills to resolve unproductive conflict. Registration and full details are available through thevantagepoint.ca. Conflict and Challenging Conversations, Tuesday, December 7th from
1: 9 to noon through thevantagepoint.ca. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is the IG Wealth Management Financial Confidence Workshop, next Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. 3.30
6: Friday at UNBC, principal owner of Vesta Development Consultants, Sarah Atkinson, will be giving the talk, Reconciliation in Land Use Planning. Ms. Atkinson will look at the Planning Institute of BC's work toward reconciliation and the lessons she's learned through the process. It's Reconciliation in Land Use Planning with Sarah Atkinson of Vesta Development Consultants at the next NRESI Colloquium, Friday from 3.30 to 5 in room 8-164 at UNBC.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
5: All right, Trudy Clausen here, speaking with Jim Young, Operations Manager of Papasan Local Trucking Company. Uh, So we've covered a lot of ground here, uh, but one thing that I was sort of a little curious on, and maybe you can indulge me, what's the future hold for the uh, transportation industry?
8: You know what, the transportation industry, Trudy, is very strong. A um, lot of different companies that uh, move uh, a ton of freight. Um, this is just a little blip in the radar, and uh, people just go back to business once uh, the Ministry of Highways and uh, everybody has done their job. And, uh, you know, basically just a little little bump in the road for, for our industry, and I'm sure everybody will be back fully functioning uh, as soon as we get a, a lane to travel on.
5: Yeah. So how, lo- how long do you think the Coca-Cola is going to take to fix
8: the Coca-Cola is a different story, I think. Um, you know, that was a major uh, wipeout. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I, I My hat goes off to the Ministry of Highways. They do some incredible things. Um, I've seen roads uh, developed uh, very quickly. Um, they aren't paved or anything, but they're structurally safe and uh, ready to travel on. Yes. So like I said, I, I've seen some incredible things happen um, in a very short period of time. But I do feel that they're probably uh, a few months from getting these things completed and uh you know we're gonna figure out ways to to continue to to truck products and uh everything will probably like i said just come out of alberta for now until we get that structure back in place
5: yes i think i saw some uh footage of of uh, i think it was highway one like the in the fraser canyon being there was a spot that had been washed out or something and uh they had already constructed pretty much reconstructed the road and like you said it wasn't paved but you can actually get through on it so that's that is pretty amazing
8: it happens very quickly and and i uh, you know if you're not involved in that side of it uh, it it sounds like it's it's doom and gloom but like i said when the ministry gets involved and uh people they, they load everything they have to correct these highways they they know that distribution is critical to our province so they act very quickly and and they do some miraculous things that's for sure
5: well, I've sort of been saying that uh, uh, transportation is a little bit like house cleaning. You don't notice you don't notice it until it doesn't get done,
0: right?
8: <laughs> That's right, you know. And and I have to agree with you. You, you do take for granted, myself included. You know, hey, I want to go grab uh, some stuff off the shelves, and you you walk into the store and you're going, "Holy man, there's nothing in here," and <laughs> and it's shocking, right? So uh, it is. You know, basically, our our job, and I'm very proud of our people. As I said before. Um, our job is to make sure that people get food on their table and other items on their on their in, in their household and and uh, trucking is very important and uh, My hat goes off to to everybody that does this for a living because it 's not an easy job but uh, it is gratifying in times like this where we're helping people uh make sure that they have food on their table.
5: Well, and that's something that, um, you know, the, I mean, for all the complaints that we have about a free market economy, capitalistic economy, we, you know, we complain a lot about it, and, and there are certainly things that, that we don't get right, but by and large, shortages is not something that we have had to deal with.
8: Yeah, and that's that's great, you know, and, and like I said, I think I, I've got to give a lot of credit to these major companies, because in the flick of a switch, they, they can diversify and make sure that uh, everybody gets what they need. So it's it's an incredible process, and a lot of these people that we work with, uh, they've got great leadership, and they can make a change in, in the flip, flick of a switch there, Trudy.
5: Yeah, and I think, and that was something that occurred to me the other day, is like you, uh, Papasan, you guys want to stay in business, and you want to continue making money, just like the grocery stores do, and and just like the restaurants and, and Tim Hortons, and so you're going to do whatever you can to make sure that things are working out, right?
8: That's correct. And, and, and you know, our, our, I'm very proud of our team. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a great group of people and they did the same thing. They, they diversified in, in minutes and we had uh, logistics sent to Edmonton and, and things are moving. And, and that's uh, because of the quick reaction of our team. And and I think that's, that's fantastic when, mm-hmm. when people can do that. And you're, you're absolutely right about um, one thing I would like to say is I'm, I'm hoping that people will support our local economy Through all of these times, we've gone through a pandemic, and now we've gone through a major crisis here uh, with distribution. And I'm really hoping that our communities will support locals so that they can continue to do business as well.
5: Yes, that's a very, very good point. So what about uh, Christmas presents? I mean, we're just coming into the the Christmas season. Are you anticipating that that's going to be an issue, or is that something, again, that we shouldn't be too worried
6: about?
8: Well, I was actually going to start off by asking you what you're buying me for Christmas this year, Trudy, but... um, (laughs) Basically, you know what? I don't think that anything is going to change. Um, I think that people might want to get a jump on their on their shopping. Um, You know, I think that, as I said before, I think the local stores uh, have items to buy. I I, I went shopping a bit yesterday at the Pine Center Mall, and uh, the stores seem to have lots of items. Um, Again, that stuff will come from the east. Yep. And uh, there's no no worry about that. Please don't panic buy your your Christmas presents. There's going to be more than enough for people to buy. Um, but as I said before, please consider the local option. I, I think that would really help uh, stores this year.
5: All right. Okay. So what about the, um, I just had a question. EV, is that a thing? Are you guys going to be transferring to or tra- uh, transitioning to EV trucks?
8: Uh, is that, you're talking electric vehicles? yes. Uh, you know what? That's a great question. Um, and <laughs> That's a
5: whole nother duck conversation, right?
8: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting conversation. Um, we had looked at some Tesla units um, that were uh, a mix of electric and diesel. Yep. Um, and you know what? The only problem in our industry right now is basically getting from point A to point B on an electric charge. So, um, but Tesla seems to have a product that can run from, they're, they're saying that would run from Vancouver to, storage right so uh yeah no we we've definitely looked at that our general manager troy Loth, uh he's he's incredible for looking outside the box and uh you know what i think that uh, we would definitely look at those options um to look at cost efficiencies right
5: all right so we have i went a little bit long there but thank you for that and uh so just again everyone we don't need to be panic buying thank you very much everybody and we'll talk to you next week
0: after Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Claussen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. C.A.